Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Journal Club is a time-honored tradition in medical education, one that most training programs in emergency medicine incorporate into their curriculum. In recent years, there's been a lot of interest in how Open Educational Resources, or OERs, known to some as FOMED, or Free Open Access Medical Education, has disrupted medical education and training. Today, we are going to talk about how OERs have changed Journal Club, with a new article in AEM Education and Training entitled, The Journal Club 3.0, a qualitative multi-site study examining a new educational paradigm in the era of open educational resources. First author, Dr. Daniel Ting, is here to discuss it with us. Dr. Ting is an emergency physician in Vancouver, Canada. He's a clinical assistant professor at the University of British Columbia and is also the editor-in-chief of the FOMED blog, Canadiem, C-A-N-A-D-I-E-M.org, and a decision editor at the Canadian Journal of Emergency Medicine. We're thrilled to have him with us today, and don't forget to read the full text of this article available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Dr. Ting, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm a fan of the podcast, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Well, your paper looks at the evolution of Journal Club and how today's residents might be using novel resources to change the experience from what it was once upon a time for people like me. And so the title of your paper, which has Journal Club 3.0, it obviously insinuates that there was a Journal Club 1.0 and 2.0. So let's first just take a walk back in time and talk about the history of Journal Club. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the way I think about Journal Club is that there's really been three distinct and different eras over the years. Um, Each of these eras kind of involves this mini revolution that once it was implemented, makes the subsequent version of Journal Club almost unrecognizable from the prior version. So Journal Club is a long tradition. It actually goes back about 150 years, back to the time of physicians like William Osler. And at that time, when they first introduced Journal Club, they were basically using it because print subscriptions are really expensive, and they had to be a way for them to divide the cost of the print subscriptions. So you can imagine Oster and his contemporaries kind of getting together in probably a bar in Baltimore to kind of just read the papers out loud to each other. That's kind of funny. <laughs> and this first version of Journal Club, we called the uh, Journal, we, we kind of just call this the Journal Club 1.0, as this was kind of the first recorded version of an event like this. Um, over the next few years, the tradition became more and more widespread across different institutions and in different cities. And now fast forwarding ahead to the 70s and the 90s, the 1970s and the 1990s, Um, Educators started integrating these structured critical appraisal techniques into the journal club to really um, increase the validity and to understand the generalizability of each of the individual studies. So overall, you can think of this journal club becoming a lot more scientific during this process. So uh, we kind of looked at this and we called this kind of the journal club 2.0. And then finally, over the past couple of decades, there's really been an explosion, not just in the medical literature in terms of the amount of papers that are published, but also in like the online resources that help to discuss the latest literature. Um, 
Personally, I find that these online resources have completely changed the way I interacted with the medical literature. And that kind of led us to this hypothesis that these resources have led to a new form of journal club, or what we call a journal club 3.0, that is really a distinct next step from the uh, prior era of journal club. So today, most training programs have journal club as a pretty standard part of their curriculum. The look might differ you know, from institution to institution, but most programs have some version of it. Mm-hmm. And I trained in the years of Journal Club 2.0, for sure. But uh, so today we have, like, as you said, this explosion of these other open access educational materials. But for those of us who aren't familiar with FOAM or FOMED or OER or however you want to make your acronym about these open access, mostly digital resources, what is out there these days? Yeah, totally. So I think, first of all, maybe it's worth defining because the, the terms are, are kind of confusing. Yeah, that, that could be that would be helpful. Yeah. So open educational resources, it, it's uh, just kind of this general term that's kind of understood across different disciplines, like within, um, for example, education. Basically, it's like this umbrella term that describes any resources that are free, that are easily accessible, and that have an aim to educate um, in some manner. So some common examples include podcasts, videos, blog posts, infographics, etc. And when we use the terms like foam or foamed, that's specifically the use of these resources within medicine. But during the paper and uh, for this interview, I think I'm just going to try to use OERs or open educational resources, just because that's the more commonly understood academic term. And maybe some if we have any listeners from outside medicine, they would just kind of understand that term more, more clearly. Got it. Now, within medicine itself, when we talk about OERs, there's a couple of dominant discourses, but the one that's actually the most um, relevant to this discussion is the discourse that focuses on the critical appraisal of new literature. So a lot of listeners of this podcast may be familiar with other resources like Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine or Rebel EM or other resources that kind of feature these individuals who have this superpower in appraising uh, articles, applying clinical epidemiology to kind of understand the methodology of these articles and you kind of share their analysis through their podcasts or blogs or social media platforms like Twitter. So I just want to, I just want to point out how meta this is right now, by the way, because (laughs) we're doing an open access podcast on an OER um, doing mm-hmm. kind of a journal club or a version of journal club with a new paper's first author. And that paper is about using open access resources to discuss new literature. I think that's <laughs> it's, cool. it's very meta. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So there has been a bit of research into how trainees use open access resources to augment their education. There's been research about that. So what do we know about residents using these resources just for their education in general in emergency medicine? Totally. So I guess this this podcast is a great example. Like I think within emergency medicine, it's really been one of these specialties that's really embraced OERs and kind of gone through this revolution in, in open access education. We There's been a number of studies in this area. It's a, it's a rapidly growing field. Um, some of the main take-homes is that we know that both trainees and faculty both use OERs in emergency medicine at a very high rate, and it's increasing all the time. And they're really using it for more and more things. Uh, for example, um, obviously, some of the OERs include videos, and some of the early videos are around procedures, which is kind of an easy um, way that you can think of uh, kind of breaking into using videos to kind of explain things. Um, 
nowadays videos have kind of gone on take on taken on different forms like we have videos that talk about say the culture of the emergency department which is um, a much more complex and, and nuanced approach than simply just showing how to put in a chest tube for example with regards to journal club we felt that it was actually one of these areas that's actually been most affected by open educational resources but it hadn't really been studied specifically um, so that's one of the reasons why we decided to do the study um, the other thing that I think is is important to mention is that even though fields like emergency medicine and critical care have kind of been at the tip of the spear when it comes to open educational resources, I really think that this is going to be something that becomes very common in all specialties in medicine. We're already seeing fields like nephrology really take this on and take it on to new directions. Um, we just had, obviously, the March Madness basketball tournament. And every year they have a version of the March Madness tournament for nephrology artists. <laughs> So these are just different ways that different fields are kind of embracing it and kind of making learning a little bit more fun. Well, that actually sounds super fun. <laughs> yeah. so, so your paper now talking about Journal Club 3.0, um, hmm. you were looking specifically at Journal Club in this brave new world. So what specific questions were you hoping to answer with this study? So we were really trying to see um, big picture how residents were integrating OERs into their educational experience. So we decided to break this down into three different areas. Uh, the first was kind of the individual level, like how do individuals use o uh, open access, access resources in their day-to-day -day educational practice? Then we looked at the event level. So how does the existence of OERs affect the experience at Journal Club? And finally, we looked at the community level. So how does um, the OERs affect the local communities of Journal Club, as well as the global community of emergency medicine and how does it inter affect the interplay between these two communities. All right. So tell me a little bit about your study design and your methods. Yeah, totally. So um, to do this, we, we performed a qualitative study. So for listeners who may not be as familiar with qualitative research, um, the goals of it are a little bit different from quantitative research. So quantitative research is really good at understanding the what of a particular phenomenon, so defining the rate, for example, or the proportion, versus qualitative research is really good at understanding the whys of a particular phenomenon. So we thought that was more appropriate for this study. Um, in terms of actually performing the research, we used a combination of a focus group and then one-on-one -on -one interviews to collect data on our study questions. Um, with regards to the methodology itself, we relied on something called the constructivist grounded theory approach. And this is kind of a way of expanding the theoretical understanding of a new phenomenon. And because we were trying to describe this new Journal Club 3.0, we again thought it was an appropriate choice for methods. And you discuss, um, in terms of constructivist grounded theory, you discuss a sensitizing concept in your paper which you decided on as community of practice. So first, could you just quickly explain what a sensitizing concept is? And second, what can you tell us about the concept of community of practice? Yeah, so qualitative research, just like any form of research, has all sorts of different terminology that can sometimes be a bit confusing. Um, I'll try to explain it as simply as I can. So with regards to a sensitizing concept, I think of it as kind of like a legend in a map. So when you're looking at a map, there's all these different symbols. Um, the direction is a little bit arbitrary and so you need a legend to tell you which direction is north and which direction is south and what all the different symbols mean so a sensitizing concept is very analogous to this it's basically just a reference point to help you understand what the research problem is 
and gives you a sense of how you want to analyze the data. Um, with regards to a community of practice, so this is a well-established concept that originally came from the social sciences. Um, at its core, basically a community of practice is a group of people who share a common interest in a topic and who come together regularly to share best practices and knowledge to advance both group and individual goals. So again, I think with regards to journal club, we're having these regular meetings where you're analyzing papers to decide how you're gonna apply the new evidence to your clinical practice. And so we felt that this really jived well with the community of practice concept. All right, so let's talk about your results. You had a moderated focus group of seven residents and then 18 residents who participated in individual interviews. Mm -hmm. And in your results section, you first discussed the people of Journal Club 3.0 asking, what is the firsthand experience of residents interacting with OERs? So what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so what we found was that open educational resources are integrated along a continuum. So you can think of like that classic graph of the life cycle for technology adoption. First, you have like your early adopters and then kind of the middle group and then your late adopters. Mm -hmm. So some of our earlier adopters, they really were using OERs quite dynamically within their educational experience. They used them basically whenever they could. Mm -hmm. um, they felt that it really helped them prepare for a journal club in a very time efficient manner and helped them get a, a broader understanding of journal club across different uh, groups and practice settings. They also felt that uh, although they got a lot of knowledge from open educational resources, it didn't. they felt like it didn't really take away from their learning at the Journal Club event itself. On the other hand, when you move down the continuum, there were some other residents that integrated them a little bit more inconsistently, kind of when they had time, and a small minority just really tried to avoid uh, OERs and, and just said they would just stick to more traditional learning resources. Okay, and then next you discussed the event itself the learning priorities in the modern journal club. What did you find there? Yeah. So um, this is obviously something that's changed a lot over, over the years. Um, and we thought was really affected by open educational resources as well. So again, thinking back to that original version of journal club with Osler and a bar in Baltimore, those gatherings were kind of the only way that those um, physicians could really hear about articles. Uh, obviously that's been completely revolutionized by things like smartphones now, just on your commute to work, you could listen to a, a podcast about the latest article in your field. And that's really changed things. So we found that in this context, learners really wanted to prioritize a couple of different things. It wasn't just about hearing articles. It was now about learning how to develop their own critical appraisal skills. Um, furthermore, another really important finding that we found was that over the years with um, medical culture becoming larger, with more physicians, with care becoming more complex, with the introduction of things like electronic medical records, there's less and less time to kind of socially bond if your colleagues at work. And Journal Club was identified as one of the few things that um, people kind of got together and interact with their colleagues and their mentors in kind of a social, uh, uh, in a social avenue. And so we found that Journal Club had a really key role in developing departmental as well as program culture. Yeah, I think that that's, I feel that that's really, really true. I think the sort of mm -hmm. social fun aspect, a little camaraderie, uh, it can yeah. make the event really fun um, for residents. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, and for faculty. Um, oh, and then that's what you discussed next is the community. So how does the local community practice mm -hmm. add value to then the online discourse that's going on? Yeah, so 
Um, open educational resources have many pros, some of which I've uh, talked about already, but there are a few kind of cons. I think of it as kind of like a buyer's beware um, thing that people always have to think about when they're looking at these online resources. Mm, correct. And the local journal club really had a, a really big role. Like people, even people who were on that early adopter scale really felt that the local journal club had a very important role to play. So this kind of manifested in a few different ways. So you can imagine if you're reading like a one page blog summary or even just like a tweet or something, it's going to be a very abbreviated version of the whole story. And at the local journal club, um, there's usually a much more fine tooth comb approach to the methods where you can uncover little subtle things that um, may actually impact the way you interpret the, the overall findings. In addition, we know that just so much clinical practice variation between different settings, depending on your resources or just kind of the um, overall nature of the, the practice setting that you're working in. And so the local journal club just had a lot more discussion of what those local and departmental factors were that may or may not be barriers or facilitators to implementing the research findings that you just wouldn't get online. And then I think the final thing that we noticed was that participants being at journal club just allowed people to kind of get a behind the scenes look at what their mentors or their colleagues were thinking about when they were like how they came to the answer of their critical appraisal and analysis, or even when they were discussing more of the clinical reasoning aspects of how they would integrate this into their practice versus like when you're just reading a blog, you're just looking at the final answer. It's a little bit like a, a math problem. You're just getting the answer, but they didn't get to see all the, the work behind uh, that answer. They're watching their mentors model mm -hmm. their like real time thinking and analysis, which definitely has benefit. Exactly. And they just, they, they really valued that. And they, they felt that it allowed them just to show what the, the, the accepted variation in practice really is, as well as kind of developing their own scaffolds uh, uh, in terms of their own reasoning so that they could come into the own, their own answers in the future. So, so, okay. So that's a little bit about how journal club can help develop departmental culture on a local mm. level. So how do you think this connection of learners then to this online global community meshes with mm -hmm. that? Like, should we feel threatened by that? Or is that a good thing? Or what, yeah. <laughs> what would yeah. you come away with this um, from this? Totally. I think overall, it's a good thing. Um, I think, you know, it, it really expands the community. So it's not just like the world of emergency medicine is not just like your local practice group, or even like your, the, the city that you might practice in, but really it's this global thing. Um, and I think that kind of, I think overall that's a, that strengthens the emergency medicine community. I think it's particularly relevant for people who are working in more community-based sites or rural settings where they might be like the only doc out there or a group, part of only a small group of docs. Mm -hmm. And it might allow them just to get, um, just bounce ideas back and forth about some of the new literature with some other colleagues that they respect in the field. Um, but I think it's also not a, replacement right for this local culture we talked so much about some of the benefits that a local journal club provides and i think it's really important to highlight those social benefits as well like you just can't really do that over open educational resources at least not to the same degree that you can just in person and hopefully with um if the covid pandemic continues to go in the right di direction we can continue to have some of these in-person events and um i think that's been uh, definitely a challenge during the pandemic is that a lot of these in-person events have been canceled and we just don't have as much of these social bonding opportunities. 
If only Osler and his buddies in the bar could have like any insight into what was coming in the future. <laughs> yeah, they would be shocked, I'm sure. Yeah. So, what, uh, what takeaways do you think that educators should come away from this study with? Yeah, so my co-authors and I, we thought there was really two main takeaways from our study for educators. So the first is around curriculum development. So our study really shows that residents are already using open education resources for Journal Club. Mm-hmm. We feel that if educators formally integrate open educational resources into Journal Club, that's just going to allow all the participants to be on a level playing field with the other early adopters who are already using them. Using open education resources also decreases barriers to participation. So this is really important for junior learners who often feel like they don't really have much of a role at Journal Club. They feel overwhelmed, mm-hmm. as well as for uh, faculty who are just really busy and uh, decide to come to Journal Club kind of last minute. It can just be a helpful way for them just to get the main take-home points, and then they can bring their own clinical experience to the table during the discussion. I think the second thing is really around uh, learner assessment. So traditionally at Journal Club, for programs that have some level of assessment during that, it's really around this axis of how well you're able to critically appraise the written scientific literature. But with open educational resources becoming more and more common and kind of more and more widespread, learners also need to be able to critically analyze those open educational resources to sort out which ones are trustworthy, what are potential flaws in these resources. And so we really thought that there was actually the second axis, like their ability to appraise open educational resources that can be used as well in this new Journal Club 3.0 to see who really is excelling in this environment where there's both the written literature as well as the online literature, and both of them are important to analyze and critically appraise. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So are you going to talk about this paper in your Journal Club? <laughs> it's it's on the list. And then you can use the podcast as an OER. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's on the list. Um uh, one of my co-authors is actually the research director of our um, so um, it, it is on the list. It's a long list of papers. As you know, there's just so many different papers to choose from. We just need uh, one of the learners to be, who is interested in medical, medical education to take this on. And uh, hopefully that happens. Well, I think that would be very fun. So thank you so much for your time and your work. Um, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. Thanks so much to you. Thanks for listening to this AEM Education and Training Podcast. Be sure to read the full text of this article, available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Subscribe to all our AEM podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.